Hey then, welcome back to Eclectish, the podcast. We're now entering season five, which is going to be quite foggy in the sense that we're going to go pretty deep into some secret societies and orders or practices that have occurred throughout history. Therefore, we may not really have a lot of answers per se, but we are going to look into how they first began and became so frequent, especially between the 16th and the 19th century, where pretty much anything that was occult from the public immediately gained interest. I've been called to begin with a more so spiritual movement, which was called Rosicrucianism, which I came across trying to know more about the Holy Grail, which I will also include in the season, so no worries. Now, I would suggest to grab a cup of tea, maybe a warm blanket, something sweet or savory to snack on as we delve deep into Rosicrucianism. Etymology. So what does Rosicrucianism even mean? Well, according to the internet, it originates through the actual name of the founder of this order, whom was none other than Christian Rosenkreutz, who is a very much interesting and mysterious character, to say the least. So much, in fact, that even his background or life prior to the order is doubted to begin with, filled with mystery and superstition, not to mention a whole bunch of rumours too. Now, the most popular or agreed on theory is that he was a German monk, whom had very much unaccepted knowledge under his wing, especially given to the times he was in. He actually acquired this knowledge through his travels in Africa and the Middle East in particular, which isn't surprising whatsoever since it did involve magic. However, of course, this isn't how he referred to it as. Rather, he hid it under the principle called Doctrine of Concealment, which essentially was an oath that all initiated had to sign. Not only that, but in order to not get persecuted, they would all avoid the term black magic or magic in general. They instead referred to it as practicing their own country's religion, which of course was false. Another theory, according to the villagers whom lived nearby the Thuringian forest, they claimed that Christian Rosencruz was actually a descendant of a very much opulent family who went by the name of Hermelshausen and had been very notable in the early 13th century. They were supposedly owners of a castle in the Thuringian forest on the border of the Hesse. Having been present while Christian paganism had pretty much appeared and had become quite popular, they too had been a part of that belief system in particular. So it does kind of make sense the amount of traveling, learning and ultimately teaching later on accomplished by Christian Rosencruz. Some also say that this was probably a pseudonym and that the actual meaning behind Rosicrucianism or Christian Rosencruz's surname was a combination of the words Rose and Cruz. Now Rose or Ros could be to an alchemical Jew which is a solvent of gold and Cruz was used to refer to light. Therefore if we add those two up it would basically be the gold light or could be be somewhat linked to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which we will also explore in a future episode if we so wish to. Now onto the humble beginnings of such a spiritually controversial movement. The founders, or the first few members actually, of this new movement based their entire belief system and sacred knowledge deriving from Egyptian, Persian, Greek, Islamic and Jewish practices. These were actually learned by the founder Christian on his many travels across the world where he learned these and then just applied them to his own foundation. The knowledge that was taught and learned under the Rosicrucian order, referred to as the sacred sciences, included the following. Physics, metaphysics, biology, psychology, parapsychology, comparative religion, traditional healing, health, intuition, extrasensory perception, material and spiritual alchemy, meditation, 
sacred architecture, symbolism, and that mystical state of consciousness relating to the experience of unity with the divine. Now, even if at first glance this order may seem kind of shady <laughs> or somewhat vague, their way of educating really isn't, since they actually do it by inspecting history, analyzing it, getting key bits of information from everything, which they acquire most of the time through utilizing old myths and tales that have primordially been passed down through generation to generation through word of mouth rather than just plain text. To back up such tales, they also go into depth in history and in a more chronological format, which begins to, I guess you could call it, back up or the teaching and speaking on. Now, what I in particular found most interesting is actually the people that have been a part or died in the order. Some of the most known people that have supposedly been a part of the Rosicrucian order are the following. Walt Disney, Gene Roddenberry, who was creator of Star Trek, Dr. Harvey Spencer Lewis, who was an author and the first man to really reintroduce the Rosicrucian order in the USA. George Washington, the first president and founding father of the USA. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the USA. Benjamin Franklin, a founding father as well. Victor Hugo, a very much famous French poet. Isaac Newton, a British mathematician whom changed the course of life through the law of gravity. Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most influential artists of the last millennium. Thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers of the USA also. Dante Alighieri, an Italian poet and responsible for what we now call Dante's Inferno. Blaise Pascal, another great poet and author. Edith Piaf, an amazingly talented and very well-known French singer. Last but certainly not least, Pharaoh Tutmos III and Hatshepsut, also accompanied by Pharaoh Akhenaten and his wife Nefertiti. And quite frankly, the list goes on. It's pretty astonishing finding out how many of the most influential, famous and innovative turned classical people uh, were part of such an initiation and keeping of wisdom throughout time. Now, according to the actual Rosicrucian Order website, because yes, there is a website, and official writings, they claim that the actual genesis of the Rosicrucian Order actually began in ancient Egypt in around the 1500s BC. Here in the famous pyramids of Giza and other sacred sites, scholars from around the world would gather and utilize such sacred sites to share different fragments of knowledge, not only from their home countries, but also studies that they had done, traveling, word of mouth, information passed through generations, and the laws of nature. Here in the ancient land of pharaohs and queens is where the acquirement of collective knowledge really began. This of course then translated into pretty much creating schools of ancient wisdom. Here people of eminence such as Pythagoras and Hermes and many more not only managed to give or implement their own thoughts and studies but also gain new knowledge shared in, in secret circles. This they then took along and pretty much implemented it in their home countries so it is no surprise that ancient Egypt, Greece, Rome, Persia, France and England all shared common knowledge despite being whole continents apart. Essentially, Rosicrucianism was like a moving and invisible college of some sort, which kind of reminds me of Harry Potter, so there it is. Now, another great way that I actually think is pretty amazing of learning is the cruises they would take or just overall traveling. This is because when you are put into a completely different environment, filled with things, people and situations which are completely foreign to you, it naturally teaches you without you knowing. The mind, all on its own, will gather information on your experience what differences there are between one place and another, not to mention the emotions that may have occurred in that moment. This is why it's so great to travel in general, and it is paired with the phrase, expand your horizons, because not only do you do it physically, but also mentally. Now, you may be wondering, well, how the hell did it blow up so much? 
Well, it actually occurred because between 1614 and 1617, three volumes of books or pamphlets appeared anonymously in Hesse Castle, which is modern-day Germany. These were the number one, Fama Fraternitatis Rosae Crucis, which translates to the fame of the brotherhood. This particular volume contained basically the story of the alleged founder, Christian Rosencruz, and his ill-fated pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the tutelage he acquired from wise old sages from the east in Damkar, aka modern-day Damar in Arabia, which consisted of esoteric knowledge, physics, mathematics, magic, and of course the Kabbalah. He then made his return through the land of Egypt, where he also participated in Sufism, which essentially is Islamic mysticism. He then made his way through Fez, which is in Morocco, until he reached Spain, which I did not expect, but oh well. He reached Spain, where he spent some time as part of the Alumbrados, or Illuminated. However, when he attempted to just, you know, share this knowledge that he had collected with other European, you know, philosophers, scientists, mathematicians, authors, basically the elite, he was quite frankly uh, rejected, since that type of obscure knowledge wasn't only taboo, but mostly prohibited. Here is where he actually chose to just move on to another country where he could actually practice his quote-unquote religion without too much infringement or interferences, not to mention his possible and very much promised death sentence. Once he learned more on occultism and other esoteric knowledge, he then moved to Germany where he actually officially founded the Fraternity of the Rose Cross, which supposedly consisted of only eight members initially. Most, if not all of the members initiated, were actually already a part of his close friend, family and social group circles. However, this didn't mean that the requirements were simple. Quite the contrary. So you may be wondering, what does it take to be a Rosicrucian, especially at the time? Well, here were the requirements. For one, they all had to be doctors and be sworn bachelors. If you don't know what a bachelor is, it's a man who has never been married and probably never will be. Number two, that none of them should profess anything than to cure the sick gratis. Gratis is the Latin word for free, so essentially they couldn't charge for their healing. Number three, none of the posterity should be constrained to wear one kind of habit, but to follow the custom of the country. Essentially, they had to kind of blend in with the country they were in by wearing the same type of clothing that the regular public would. Number four, every single year upon the day C, which is a, a secret day, they would meet together at the house Santi Spiritus or write the cause of their absence if they couldn't make it. Number five, every brother should seek a worthy person to succeed him after his death. Number six, the word CR should be their seal, mark and character. Number seven, the fraternity should remain secret 100 years, which actually surprisingly, it managed to do quite efficiently since this antique order really began to get noticed way later. Now onto the second volume, the Confessio Fraternitatis, aka the Confession of the Brotherhood. In the second of the total of three volumes, the second pamphlet slash book was more so a continuity. In here, they claim that they are in fact aligned in total with the Christian faith and Christ himself. They also give 37 reasons why they are doing what they're doing, and they go on to explain that the purpose of the semi-losing of anonymity is due to their mission. Now, their mission, in case you're wondering, is to transform the political and intellectual landscape of Europe through their brotherhood of alchemists and sages alike. They also claim that they are gladly given and sharing this wisdom 
primarily with the kingdom of Rome. This is because they believed at the time that the leaders of other beliefs were completely wrongful in going against Christ and Christianity, which we're not going to get into because I'm not religious. On to the third volume, The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosencruz. Now, this particular volume piqued my interest, more so because it embodied a sort of romantic Christian journey. Here the book is divided in seven chapters pertaining to the seven days and the Genesis. He speaks on how in Easter time of the year 1459 is when he was invited to the royal wedding of the quote-unquote bride and the quote-unquote bridegroom, essentially the king and queen. He was invited to a magical castle where all of this took place, of course, and here's where it kind of gets confusing, so bear with me. To understand this, you first have to know what alchemy really is. So I'm going to quote the definition. Alchemy, the medieval forerunner of chemistry, concerned with the transmutation of matter, in particular with attempts to convert base metals into gold or find a universal elixir. Another definition would be a seemingly magical process of transformation, creation or combination. Now the gig here was the fact that in alchemy, when attempting to transmute matter, they would actually refer to it as a quote-unquote sacred marriage between different elements. So when Christian Rosencruz refers to an invitation to a royal wedding or sacred marriage, what he's actually talking about is the initiation in alchemy and the journey he took to study it. He then takes us on a journey to his own knighthood, which took place actually a year later in Easter time again, where the constitution of the Freemasons in Strasbourg, Germany, took place simultaneously, which is kind of sus, but we're not going to talk about it. He goes on to talk about his experience meanwhile and makes a bunch of references to the Bible. Not only that, but he also speaks on the four paths given to us by God. He talks about these four paths that are written on a tablet hung on one of the three cedar trees which he sits under to contemplate. He goes on to explain that these paths can easily, easily determine how your life will be and how it already may be predestined to go a certain way because of fate. In case you're wondering, the four paths are, and I quote, number one, the first is short but dangerous and one which will lead you into rocky places through which it will scarcely be possible to pass. Number two, the second is longer. It is plain and easy and if by the help of the magnet you turn neither to left nor right. Number three, the third is that truly royal way which through various pleasures and pageants of our king, affords you a joyful journey. But this so far has scarcely been allotted to one in a thousand. Now, last but certainly not least, number four. By the fourth, no man shall reach the place because it is a consuming way, practically only for the incorruptible bodies. Choose now which one you will be of the three and persevere constantly therein. For know whichever you will enter, that is the one destined for you by immutable fate. Nor can you go back in it save at great peril to life. So yeah, that's how Rosicrucianism sneakily began to intervene in the grand scheme of things, or pretty much appear more often throughout history after its 100 years of silence and secrecy. Well, after a sudden declaration that yes, in fact, a brotherhood of sages and alchemists did in fact exist, people pretty much took this and ran with it, which is not surprising. However, this produced up to almost 400 different types of literature on this particular subject, regardless if they were supporting or rejecting it. What caused even more furore, I guess you could say, was the fact that in 1622, only a couple of years later, two very much mysterious and also anonymous letters slash posters 
appeared on the walls of Paris. Now, here the members of the Rosicrucian order spoke and said, and I quote, we, the deputies of the higher college of the Rose Cross, do make our stay visibly and invisibly in this city. And the second ended with the words, the thoughts attached to the real desire of the seeker will lead us to him and him to us. Now, the nine ways to consciousness. Now, you may be thinking, well, what were some beliefs or guides that they may have followed in order to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish? Well, they actually did by having some sort of starting point, which was to embark on the path of initiation through mastering alchemy. However, this isn't the alchemy that Saint Germain was used to, which is funny because when he was reincarnated as Francis Bacon, he actually was a part of the Rosicrucian order, but whatever. They weren't referring to just transforming minerals into other kinds, but rather a more so internal alchemical process known in three steps called the threefold body, the threefold soul, and the threefold spirit. Three times three. Now we're going to begin with number one, the threefold body, which is how the body of a person relates to the world around them. Number two, the threefold soul, how the soul which contains emotions and thoughts may relate and change according to the world around them. Number three, the threefold spirit, how the spirit omnipresent, all-knowing, can attempt to relate to the world around its vessel. Now back to the bizarre letters in Paris, right? What was even more rare was the sudden death and silence of not only the letters, but of Rosicrucianism in general for several years. They pretty much just as an order went ghost and only really came back and made an impact when a man named Harvey Spencer Lewis came across Rosicrucianism and then was initiated into the order in Toulouse around 1909. After that, he believed that his mission or sole purpose was to bring Rosicrucian knowledge from Europe and then revive and revamp it in the USA, which he actually actively did for pretty much the rest of his life. He was known as one of the few and first imperators of AMORC, which is an organization that stands for Anticus Mysticusque Ordo Rose Crucis, ancient and mystic order of the rosy cross here he created along with other members and imperators the following the rosicrucian park founded in 1927 in san jose california which includes the rosicrucian egyptian museum the fifth planetarium built in the usa and the first to have a u.s built star projector built by dr harvey spencer lewis himself the rosicrucian peace garden the rosicrucian research library the grand temple the administration building Fountain Plaza and Gardens, the Alchemy Garden, and the Walking Labyrinth. Not only that, but the Rosicrucian Order also managed to pretty much birth what we now know as the Freemasons or Freemasonry. However, a lot of people claim that some of the symbolism in Freemasonry, even though it was put there by the Rosicrucians, it can only be deciphered by people of the Rosicrucian Order and are completely unknown or incomprehensible to the members of Freemasonry thereafter. Other orders that were a, I guess you could call it, byproduct of Rosicrucianism were the Order Militia Crucifera Evangelica, the Ghanaian Order of the Rose Cross, the Norwegian Order of the Rose Cross, Confraternity of the Rose Cross, and the very much short-lived Ancient Rosicrucis. A lot of people also believe that the Rosicrucians utilized Freemasons as a sort of public mask, right? Or to make it easier to hide shady things, which, I mean, living in the world we live in wouldn't be too surprising, would it? Others attempt to form a distinction between the two, and they claim that the most obvious differences between them or between the different societies are the following. Number one, the focus. 
uh, Rosicrucianism pretty much focuses on the evolution of consciousness through mainly alchemy and sharing of knowledge overall, whilst Freemasonry, on the other hand, mainly focuses on just making men better overall. Number two, the symbology. The Rosicrucians utilize the cross as a symbol to either represent Christ or a human body. And the rose may be linked to Mary Magdalene and or the unfolding of a person's consciousness. On the other hand, Masons or Freemasons and their symbology varies greatly. It mostly consists of a square, a compass inside it with the letter G sitting in the middle. Now, the G stands for geometry, which is one of the most studied practices in Freemasonry. The compass is linked to morality and changing directions without losing oneself. And the square may speak on practicality while staying in the lines. So yes, there are many loops and holes between different orders, because whenever I look one up, all of the others pop up very frequently behind it. So there has to be a common denominator, right? We're going to see if we can find it throughout the season. And yeah, that would mark the end of this particular episode. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about Rosicrucianism and its trajectory throughout history. I hope you gained some insight and maybe even some confirmation to any doubt that you may have had previously. I hope you all enjoyed this journey into speculation, dark wisdom and building of secret societies. I wish you all an amazing week ahead, filled with loads of love and blessings. May you all be safe and sound. Good luck and goodbye.